Oh, the Lord is good. Hey, I want you to get your Bibles ready. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20 uh, and uh, just kind of hang around 1 Samuel 20, 21, 22. We're going to kind of hang around there for the next four weeks. I'm starting a brand new series today. But let me ask you this. Uh, how many of you have ever been in a place where your life is just going incredible? Some of you are there right now. Come on. How many you say, Pastor, I'm telling you, life is really, really good right now for me. Let's give a witness to it. Come on. Just wave your hand real hard. Come on. Put, your, put it up. Come on. Let's put it up there. Amen. Amen. You just remember that. You keep holding on to that. We don't resent you. Come on. How many know you love those good days? I mean, everything's going good. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. You know? The sun's shining, it's 79 degrees, you're sitting drinking iced tea, I mean, your kids are all behaving. Uh, you thought you were having a good day till I brought that up, amen? Everything's going good, they're not fighting, you got a job promotion, got a brand new car sitting out there, man, it's just looking nice and... I'm telling you, you know, Kool-Aid's coming out of the drinking fountain for you. And you're cruising along, and then all of a sudden, how many of you have had just the bottom just absolutely fall out? Just fall out. That's what brings me to this series. It's called, What to Do When It Does. Life just happens. What do you do when it does and everything just, you're, everything's going good? Because I discovered this. No one has to teach me how to be happy and joyful when everything's going good. I don't need lessons on that. When I get a pay raise, you don't have to teach me how to behave. No. When I'm, everybody's acting great around you, Everybody loves you. They think you're the best. You're the greatest thing since Dr. Pepper. No one has to teach you how to handle that. But when the bottom files out, that's where I need lessons. What to do when it does. Life happens. And here's what I've discovered when life happens to me. And I've been there. Some of you are there and have been there. Your choices are critical when life happens what to do what it does. Your decisions are crucial in that moment. But I can tell you there are times that when things are so spinning out of control, I have not made the best decisions in my life. How many of you have ever made a bad decision in your life? Boy, you are the honest, most honest church in America. Amen. Pastor Tim's got both of his arms and one leg up in the air. Amen. I've made some bad decisions in my life when I was serving God and when I wasn't serving God. I made some bad decisions, bad choices. Here's what I've discovered about that. The enemy will really beat you up and really condemn you, especially as a believer, when you've made a bad decision. Oh, I wish I could redo this. I wish I wouldn't have said that. But here's what I know about the Lord. How many of you thank God that God can still help you recover when the spirit of stupid has hit you. And some of you are more upset that I said stupid. Now that's stupid. <laughs> 
He can help you recover when the bottom falls out. And so what I want to do over these next uh, uh, four weeks, uh, I want to just take for a moment a, a time in David's life where that exactly happened to him. It exactly happened. What to do when it does. Because he made wrong decisions and he made right decisions. And he was doing great. I mean, we all can, we've all had those moments we felt like David. I mean, the upwardly mobile David, he was moving up. Boy, he's young. He's good looking. Everybody loves him. He's a composer. He's writing great music. I mean, he's great. He was in obscurity. He used to just sit out there in the meadows being with the sheep, playing his harp. People got worried about him because he'd be bouncing around with his harp, playing around, blowing kisses into the sky. People thought he was a little, little weird, but the kid becomes a great composer. He's well-known. Everybody knows he's talented. He can play a harp. All of a sudden, in the midst of all that, he gets discovered by a prophet by the name of Samuel. God's looking for a king because there's a King Saul. And you know the story. King Saul rebelled against the Lord. He rebelled against the Lord. And God said, I'm lifting my hand off him and I'm going to reach another and tell Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. Well, Jesse's got all these sons and they're military guys and they're well-trained. And Samuel goes to the house and he says, these are not the ones. And he says, I got one kid that's out there. I leave him out there in the field. He's a little strange. He plays a harp follows the seat, bouncing through the meadow, blowing kisses into the sky. There's something wrong with him. He's not here. And Samuel says, that's the one. And now he's moving up because now Samuel says, you've been chosen by God to be the next king. That's a frustrating thing when you're anointed to be a king, but you're still a kid. Wow. They tell you you're going to have the cologne of the king, but you stink like sheep. You still got maturity to go through. Now he's anointed by, just think, look what begins to happen. He's anointed by God, but later he's going to be hated by the king, King Saul. It's, it's a hard thing when you're anointed and abhorred at the same time. That's a tough thing when everybody thinks you're great, but other people hate you. Amazing. But he's moving up, boy. He is, he is moving up. He's a great musician. And then there's this big guy by the name of Goliath that's a Philistine that's defying the armies of God and King Saul. This guy's huge. He's big. It looks like he's lived by a nuclear plant his whole life. And he's, he's, he's big enough to eat hay and he's dumb enough to enjoy it. He's a big guy. And guess who goes out to take him on? A little shepherd boy who's just coming there to bring a meal to his brothers. And he comes there and he kills and he destroys Goliath and he becomes this great military hero. Now he's not just good looking, he's not just a great musician, now he's a national war hero. Man, he's, he's so popular that the king says, I'm going to make you part of my inner circle. He becomes best friends with the king's son, Jonathan. And not only that, but he is in line to marry the king's daughter. He's going to be son-in-law to King Saul. I mean, he's just moving upward, 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 upward. I mean, everything, nothing could be better. And then all of a sudden, his circumstances turn against him. It's not even his fault. And the bottom falls out. Well, you know how it started to fall out. Remember, he killed Goliath. And when he came back, Saul's with him. And all of a sudden, when he comes back in, Saul hears all the women singing. Okay? He probably wouldn't have minded the men, but it was the women singing. He was good looking. He was tall. He just kicked the tail of Goliath and took his head off. He's a musician. He's good looking. He's coming in. And then he hears everybody singing, 
Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And something rose up in Saul because he was rebellious, a spirit, a dark spirit of jealousy. And the Bible even says from that moment on when Saul heard him singing, Saul has only killed a thousand, but David's killed tens of thousands. And David hadn't even killed tens of thousands yet. He hadn't even done it yet. See, sometimes people are not ticked off at you. They're ticked off at what everybody else says about you. Oh, that's a whole other message. I can't go there. I don't have the time. But now all of a sudden, the Bible says that Saul looks at David with a jealous eye from then on. But even though Saul's looking at him with, with, with a jealous eye, God keeps elevating David. David keeps, David keeps moving up more and more and more. He gets more military victories. And now the Bible says Saul gets even more afraid of him because of his popularity. A demonic spirit, a tormenting spirit, God, God uh, begins to allow a tormenting spirit to attack Saul. Here's the thing about rebellion. Even Samuel said it to Saul when he did it. He said, Saul, you may be anointed in your position and gifted by God, but rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. This is why you don't want to rebel against God and his word. Because it drops, it almost drops that hedge of protection where rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and now tormenting things can come into your life. Can I tell you to obey God, not in just compartments of your life, but obey God in every part of your life so that nothing can come in and taunt you or destroy you. A tormenting spirit came on him. And David would play and then be driven away. But it says King Saul just got more and more angry and afraid of Saul. And now Saul is so hateful and jealous and angered, anointed by God, that he puts out a contract on David to have him assassinated. Go read the word. Have him assassinated. Tells all of his men, get him assassinated. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. Destroy him. And, and now David's going, what, what do I do? Saul's throwing spears at him. And now Jonathan speaks to David, to, to, to his dad. And, and, and he says, Dad, you can't, David's running away from you. You can't do this. He's a great military. He loves you. He, he's for you. He's for this nation. And so King Saul allows him to come back to the court. David comes back to that court, but then another tormenting spirit. See, that rebellion, torment can come to you when you disobey God. It leaves a door open for tormenting to come to you. And here's what happens. The tormenting spirit comes on Saul, and he throws another spear at David. And this time, David knows this man wants to kill me, and David runs for his life. Now he's at the top. Everything's going great. It's not his fault, but he's running in the wilderness for his life. His only friend and ally that he really feels he can talk to is King Saul's son, Jonathan. And he says, Jonathan, you got to give me a word. Am I going to make it? What's going on? And now David is hiding behind a boulder in the wilderness, waiting for Jonathan to give him word. And that's a tough place to be. When destiny's decisions were being made about him, but he was power, powerless to participate in those decisions. That is a tough place when you can't make the decisions for your destiny and someone else is in control of it. And this is what he says, 1 Samuel 20, verse 1, our text. Then David fled from Naoth to Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked. He's hiding behind this boulder because he's afraid they're going to kill him. There's a, there's a contract out on him. He says, what have I done wrong? What's my crime? What did I do against your dad? How have I wronged your father? He's trying to take my life. Now let's put it in real time for you. 
There are times in your life when you feel you have no control. You're sitting there waiting for someone else to decide for you. And you feel powerless because someone else is causing the problem in your life and the bottom falls out. You are not the fault, but now they seem to be in control. How many have ever been in that place where you felt that powerless before? What am I going to do? Someone else's dumb decision. And we love, we love to be in control, but sometimes God will put you in a place where you have no control over the situation. And we Americans, we love control. Ah, you don't believe me. But who really handles that remote at the house? We love control. So maybe you're sitting in here. Maybe you couldn't relate to the story of David this time, but maybe the person that you stood there with 15 years ago told you, I do, until death do us part. And now they're making such foolish decisions that now you are feeling the aftermath and the shrapnel of their bad decisions, and it's not your fault. You may be sitting here. You may be sitting here and you worked hard your whole life. You worked hard your whole life. And you made one investment and you trusted this one person to make the right decisions with your money, your cash. And now you're sitting at retirement age and you're looking and you have nothing and you barely can make it. And you feel like someone else didn't come through for you. And, they're to blame. and they might have even been saved and spoke in tongues and said, God showed me this was a great deal. You might be sitting here. You might be sitting here today and this past week you sat in a doctor's office and the doctor gave you a prognosis. And now you're facing outcomes that you have no control over physically. And you're sitting here, what do I do? I'm going to tell you something. Those kind of decisions put you in a place where you feel like you don't have any control. You were working your hardest at the job. You worked your best. You did your best. You showed up on time. You, you came in early. You left late. You did everything good only for someone else in the company to say something about you that was false. And now they've made a decision about your future. You gave in all your years. You're wanting to face retirement. And you did everything right. Now the company says, we don't care about what you feel or what you've done. We're going to make, how many have ever been at the place where you have done everything right? Everything's going good and the bottom falls out. I got two of you here that have been through that. I have not listened to the Holy Spirit at all today. How many know what I'm talking about here today? <clears throat> David had seemingly been in control of everything in his life up to this rock, this boulder of destiny that's between him and his future. And now he's a wanted man. And I can tell you that some of you feel like, Pastor, I have done everything right and I'm still paying for it years later because of someone's decision or even your own bad decision. I have a word for you from heaven. Life may be out of control, but you don't have to be. Things may seem out of your control, but you don't have to be out of control. And David, during this time, we're going to study this. Some of these decisions, because he was out of control and he wanted to control things, he made some bad decisions, some wrong decisions. I want to try to help you and me today not to make wrong decisions when those things you feel like, I, I just blew it, I, or, or, or somebody else blew it. I, 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 want to, I want to talk to you about not making the wrong decisions, and I want to talk to you about making the right decisions. He made critical mistakes. You're going to find it. David made a lot of critical mistakes, but help me thank God. God also helped him make some right decisions to get recovered. Amen? Now, sin has consequences, folks, but God doesn't cut us off. How many thank God for that? 
He helps us recover. Now in this situation, I want to talk this Sunday, I want to talk just for a few minutes about three mistakes David made when this started happening and the bottom fell out. Three things. And it's three things I don't want you to do or me to do. Here we go. Ready? Number one. First of all, when that happens, don't fear. Fear is the weapon that Satan uses against all of us. Don't fear. Everybody say, don't fear. Don't fear. Jonathan, David comes up and all of a sudden, he's all of a sudden in absolute fear. He's in fear. In that one moment, he starts fearing, doesn't know what's going to happen. And here's what he says in 1 Samuel 20, verse 3. He's talking to Samuel and he looks, he's talking to Jonathan and David's talking to him and look what he says to him. He says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. So David already concluded, I'm going to die. I'm out of control. He's out of control. And I have no control over this situation. And now David allows fear to control him. And he says, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm going to die. Wait a minute. Hold on just a second. Don't you just remember when Samuel came by and anointed you king of all of Israel? Did you forget that you were anointed, that you have an appointment and an assignment from God that you've got to get done, and you're already saying it's dead, so it's never going to happen? The thing that happens is so many times Satan will use fear to manipulate God's people in so many ways, and David allows fear to control him. Look, when you get to uh, chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, he makes this decision to go see Ahimelech, the, the priest, and when he goes to him, he lies to the preacher. Look, what he, you don't want to lie to the preacher, buddy. Amen. I tell people, live your life so well that at your funeral, the preacher doesn't have to lie. 1 Samuel 12, 21, 12, he says, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. He's going to this place called Gath. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But he was afraid. He was living in fear, constantly living in fear at this time. And he's hiding in the desert. But something happens to, to David when Jonathan begins to speak. And Jonathan looks at him and begins to speak to him. He says, I know I am one step away. I'm going to die. And look at the words of Jonathan. Jonathan looks at him in, verse, in chapter 23 and verse 17. And he says to him, while he's on the run, he says, don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. There's sometimes that you got to have people around you that all of a sudden lift up your faith, give you so much courage. I want to hang around people that tell me a word from God when I need it, when I'm scared to death. I need to hang around the right people. And when chaos hits your life, when the bottom falls out, when it happens, can I tell you, huh, we get fearful as humans. It is a human response, but it's not to be our spiritual response because what fear does is fear drowns out our faith. I know some of us are people, well, when something happens, I take matters into my own hands. Well, it's changed now, and the matters are taking you into hand. You don't have the control. And when you're in that kind of position, fear begins to drown out your faith that it's, this is the way it is. It's just like what happened to David at that moment. And I will tell you that fear is always an enemy of faith. It is like oil and water. They will not mix together and they cannot live together. And you start to believe. You start to believe that failure is the only option left in your life because of so much fear. What a doctor said, what your spouse did, what somebody, what your kid's doing, what your job's doing, what the economy is saying for crying out loud. You start reacting in so much fear. And Satan uses fear to manipulate believers to go into failure. 
You've got to remember this, church, that fear is to Satan what faith is to God. If you want to fuel God, without faith it is impossible to please God. But I'll tell you, if you want to fuel Satan, live in that fear. And that's what he's did. And David just needed to reflect on what God had done. He needed to remember, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Why am I saying that I'm going to die? I was anointed by Saul to be king. I haven't even hit that yet. My kingship is coming. My position is coming. He should have remembered that. He should have done what he did when he faced Goliath. When Goliath came, he says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Did they send a dog to come fight me with a stick? You little, you little runt. He's mocking David. But David looks up at Goliath and he says, I don't come to you with a sword or spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he looks at Goliath and he starts rehearsing and reflecting on what God did before. He starts saying, wait a minute. You know what? One time God gave me the power to kill a lion and to kill a bear. And as surely as God gave me the power to kill the lion and the bear today, I will take your head off and I will feed you to the birds of the air this very day. The only reason he had the faith to kill Goliath was because he started reflecting on what God had done before. Now listen for a second. I know that you may be in situations against insurmountable odds that you don't think there's any way to get out of it. But can I tell you something you need to do? You just need to look back over your life. You're still breathing. You're still standing. You're still here. So that proves that God has kept you and you're still going to keep going on. Amen. You need to have faith to believe that if he saved me, if he delivered me before, he'll deliver me again. I like what David said. He said, once I was young, but now I'm old. And one thing I figured out, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. How many of you thank God, God is on your side. Remember what he did. You need to reflect. And for crying out loud, get around a Jonathan in your life. Why are you hanging out with losers going, yeah, you got that? My Uncle Willer had that. Man, I feel sorry for you. Quit hanging around the people that said, you'll never, marriage will never make it. Quit hanging around the people that said, you'll never make it. Why don't you get around the people that are like Jonathan's who said, I know your destiny. I know what God said to you. Get around the people that hold you accountable. That's why I tell you, every one of you ought to have your young people in this youth ministry right over here. Every one of you ought to have your kids. Get them around Jonathans. Get them around people that are, are Miriams and they're Esthers that tell them you can. Every, every single young adult ought to be in the young adult ministry. Someone encourage you because there's enough garbage out there to tear your kid down this school year. There's enough trash out there through social media. You need to get them around Jonathans that call them who they are, show them their identity of God, and say, you'll be more than a conqueror. You are going to be the king and queen God's called you to be. Seriously, when you listen to that wisdom series, choose your friends wisely. Get them around the Jonathans. Get in a small group for crying out loud. People start getting exactly like the people they hang around. And he said, David, my father will not lay a hand on you and tells him you will be the next king. Now that's faith, buddy. When you know you should be the one next in line after King Saul because you're his son. But you look at another to know God's destiny and say, no, it's going to be you. Give me around people that are willing for me to be elevated. Why don't you be that kind of person that be, not, instead of just waiting for Jonathans, why not be a Jonathan? 
You can be a classroom buddy and be a Jonathan to an eight-year-old. Oh, you can do it. I'm preaching better than you're letting on. Amen. Don't fear. I'm telling you, don't fear. So build your faith in Jesus Christ. Get around some Jonathans. Get around the word and let that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by faith does not come by heard. Faith does not come by heard. It comes by hearing and keep on hearing. It literally means hear, keep on hearing, keep on hearing, eat, keep on eating, keep on listening, keep on listening, keep on listening, keep on listening to the word of God. Not I heard that. You can't show up once a month and ask God to give you the ability to survive a spiritual attack if you're only eating breakfast once a month at 10 a.m., Hear and keep on hearing. So what are you saying, Pastor Sam? You need to reflect on what God says about you. Come on, when the enemy tells you that there's no hope for you, give him Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It's plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. When the devil says you're never going to amount to anything, give him the words of Jesus Christ in John 15, 16. When Jesus looked at him and said, you didn't pick me, but I chose you, and I chose you to bear fruit. I appointed you to an assignment and that your fruit might remain. Give them the word of God. When all of a sudden you believe, God, I don't, have a, I don't know which direction to go in my life, give them Romans 8, 837. Knowing all things, you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Let faith fill your life and not fear. Get around the right relationships and reflect on what he's done before. Because here's what happens when you start living in fear. Ready for the next one? Don't fabricate. You not only get in fear, you start lying. David lied and he didn't need to lie. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Here's what happened. The more fears, the more David fears, the more he starts lying in this situation. And the more he lies, the more he lives in fear. I'm going to show you this. Watch this. He's fearing. And because he's fearing, now he's lying and the more he's lying, the more he's fearing. You just watch this. Watch this. He, his fear develops into deceit. Most people that don't repent and come right with their sins is because they're afraid to come right with their sins. And so they keep creating more lies. So let me show you one that he did. Here's, here's one he did. David to Jonathan. When he knows that Saul's after him. 1 Samuel 20 and verse 6. I want you to look at this. He says, he says I got to run for your dad. Your dad is out of his, he's off his nut, man. This dude is just a complete whack job. And he knows that spirits, the tormenting spirits on him. First Samuel 20, verse six, he says, if your father misses me, tell him. So he's supposed to eat, eat at the t- king's table. He said, if your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because, because, an, annual sac- because an annual sacrifice. He said, tell him I'm with my family. I'm going to go be my family, and I'm going to sacrifice with them. He lied to him. That's not what he was doing at all. He lied because he was afraid. Now, there was no consequence for this lie. Sometimes, let me just say this about lying. Sometimes there are no consequences when you lie. They're not. Sometimes there's not a consequence. And maybe, maybe your conscience might be convicted. But sometimes I've watched people who lie and there's no consequence for their lie. And let me tell you what happens when there's no consequence when you lie. <laughs> let me tell you. 
You just dodged a bullet and God gave you a gift of grace. Don't think you're getting away with anything. You dodged a bullet for a moment because it will happen. Because I've watched people that when they start lying and they see they get away with another one, they keep going for the next one and the next one. And David's driven by fear, so he's lying. So he goes to the next fear. And the second lie happens in 1 Samuel 21. When David goes to the priest Ahimelech while he's running from, from King Saul, he runs to him and Ahimelech, the priest, sees him, and when he sees him show up by himself, Ahimelech gets afraid because this guy's always with the king and the king's court. And he looks at David, 1 Samuel 21 and verse 2. Now watch this. Watch David lies. He says, why are you by yourself, David? And David answered Ahimelech, the priest. The king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. And he lies to the priest that the king has sent him on a mission. Now watch this. There was no consequence for that first lie. But when people start to lie, they start adding more lies. Well, let me show you what. He lied, and then he lies again to him. Look at verse, verse 2, 1 Samuel 21. He says, well, where are your men? He says, as for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. So David tells him, I'm on a mission from the king. He says, why are you alone? He says, my men are hiding. I need food. He doesn't have any of that. And he's lying. Now, the first one was a gift of grace. But this one led to something more tragic. Because the whole time that he's lying, there is this guy by the name of Doeg who is the chief herdsman for King Saul. He goes back to King Saul and reports to him, hey, Ahimelech the high priest has helped David out. He gave him a sword, Goliath's sword. He gave him food. He helped him out. And in fact, he inquired of the Lord for him. And here's what happens. King David, King Saul, goes back to Ahimelech and says, why did you help David out? And Ahimelech says, I, I thought he was on a mission from you. I didn't know this. I thought he was on a mission. He told me he was on a mission from you. And what do I do? I'm gonna, he's going to help the king out. The king asked for it. And all of a sudden, King, Man, King Saul got so angry that Doeg the shepherd, he says, I want you to execute not only Ahimelech and his family, but I want you to kill all the priests. And that day, King Saul and Doeg slaughtered 85 priests and their families, their children. David was not the one responsible for killing. King Saul and Doeg were the ones responsible and held accountable for the slaughter of those 85 people. Not David. But David's lie is what brought it on. And I'm telling you, there are people that will sit there and lie, and you're bringing trouble not just on yourself, but you're bringing on a lot of the people, and you need to stop lying. Mm, getting quiet in here. What's the point here, Pastor Sam? Here's the deal. When you start fearing, you start fabricating. And all you have to do is always do God's work God's way. You do not have to lie to help God out. Can somebody say amen to that? What happened was fear caused David to lie. In fact, isn't it the truth about Satan? Doesn't the Bible say that Satan exchanges the truth of God for a what? And we taught about that already. Exchanges the truth. Don't believe his lies. Do not believe his lie that comes from fear. Don't believe it. The problem is that you and I have a tendency to believe Satan's lies when we're in trouble and the bottom falls out. We start believing his lies. Do you know why? Because the voice you and I trust the most is our own. 
But Satan is an incredible ventriloquist. And the voice he always uses to trick Sam Reifkogel is Sam Reifkogel's inner voice. And all of a sudden, I start, he starts sounding a lot like Sam Reifkogel and say, you know what, it's never going to happen. This is never going to work. You're, it's it's going to fail. It's never going to survive. He starts telling you, you'll never succeed. Your kids will never come to Jesus Christ. You'll never, marriage will never be restored. You'll never love again. No one will ever love you. You're never going to make it. And Satan keeps pumping those lies, and he uses our voice. There's only one voice you and I need to listen to. And Jesus said it in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Can somebody say amen to that? I'm telling you, the voices are powerful. And some of you are so afraid that you're afraid that you're going to be alone. I, I, I feel I never get married. I, I feel I'll always be by myself. No, 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 no. You, you, you may be lonely, but you're never going to be alone because Proverbs 18, 24 says that he is a friend that sticks closer than your brother. And sometimes I don't even want my brother around and he's closer than my brother, amen. Some of you are afraid you're going to go broke. Some of you can't even worship and do great things for God with your finances and your resources because you're so afraid and you're so driven by fear in this economy. Don't fear lack. Don't fear poverty. Believe God in Philippians 4.19 when he says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Not this world's riches, but his riches. Some of you are afraid of the future. You're afraid of the future. Oh, come on. Would you grab a hold of Psalm 37 verse 23? The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Do you understand whether you're in the mountaintop or you're in the valley? Whether the bottom's there or the bottom's falling out, can I tell you, he is guarding every single step you're walking through. Some of you are going through chaos and you're going through trouble. You're going through all this fear and trouble. Would you grab a hold of the truth of God's word in Psalm 34, 19? It says, the righteous face many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue them each time. Every single time God has rescued us. Every time. Every time. Don't fear and don't fabricate. Don't start repeating the devil's lies that he speaks to you. Lastly, don't freak. <laughs> Lean to your neighbor and say, I don't think he's talking about you. I think he's talking about me. Don't freak. <laughs> don't freak. Man, do we live in a culture now that feels like they got to emote every time they feel like they're not being heard. Emote. Oh, you obviously aren't on social media. Unbelievable. Sometimes that's a believe it's the way they were raised at home. We never responded till somebody started yelling at us. And we thought that's the same way you got to do it. You just got to yell louder than everybody else to finally be heard. And now we got a real freak culture. Don't freak. When people feel like they're losing control, they start losing their emotional control. How many have ever lost your emotional control? Man, have I said things I wish I just zipped it. Some feel when they're losing control in the game of life, what begins to happen, 
they start making emotional responses because they made bad decisions or others have made bad decisions. Others can make, just like David's situation, others made bad decisions for him. And I mean, they start freaking out. You said David freaked out. You better believe it. So he makes this decision to go to this place called Gath where King Achish is, okay? And he goes into enemy Tory. This, first of all, was a bad decision. He's making bad decisions because of fear. And he's making bad decisions because he's fabricating. And he goes to, to Gath where King Achish. Let me tell you why this was a bad, bad move. When he went to Ahimelech, he says, I don't have a sword. I was in a hurry and I forgot my sword. You got a sword around? Well, we just happened to have Goliath's sword. Well, guess what that sword was? That was the very sword that David, when he was a shepherd, used to chop off the head of Goliath and hold it up in front of everybody that very day. Big victory. You remember that one? Remember the girls all singing to Purdy Boy? You killed your tens of thousands? Okay, he remembers it well. He gets his sword because there was none like it, and he takes it. He goes to Gath. Well, guess what Gath was? Gath was Goliath's hometown. Now, why would you make such a dumb decision to take the very sword that you lopped off the dude's head with and you're going into his hometown? Don't you know he has family members? Don't you know he's got bubbas? Don't you know that he's got, he's got friends there in that place that would love to see you dead and kill you with the very weapon you lopped his head? What are you doing going into Gath? When you start getting scared, you start going places you shouldn't be going. What in the world are you doing back in that bar? What are you doing sitting there smoking weed with your friends again? Quit, get the spirit of stupid off you and start thinking. Sorry. Why do, you keep having, why do you keep having coffee with that woman that's not your wife? Knock it off. Why are you texting that old high school boyfriend? He does not look the way he looked 30 years ago. He's a fat tub of lard now. Would you knock it off? You're going to make a dumb decision because you're fearing you're not being loved the way you ought to be loved. I don't know who I'm prophesying to. It may not be for everybody, but it may be for the person that's doing it. You're going to make a bad decision because you feel like the bottom's fall out on your, falling out on your marriage. Mm. Okay, don't blame me. Blame the Holy Spirit. That's what I do. Amen. He makes a bad decision and goes to the dude's hometown. Oh, watch this. And then he freaks. 1 Samuel 21, 13. Are y'all still with me? Okay, I'm, I'm bringing in for a landing. So he pretended. So here's what he goes in there and he goes, I have made a major mistake. And he's before King Hankish and he knows, oh, what am I doing? So he pretended, David, to be insane in their presence. While he... While he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making markings on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at this man. Look at this man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to me, carry on like this in front of me? He said, I got enough nut jobs. Get him out of here. <laughs> David is wigging out. His only response was, I don't know if the Holy Spirit gave it to him or not. Let's say he did. But I'm just telling you, he just starts freaking out, acting like a madman. And that second decision that he made was 2 Samuel. Look at this in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10. Then David fled from Saul and went to King Achish of Goliath. He went into his own hometown. 
I'm telling you that sometimes your emotions can be so out of whack and you may not be able to control the situation, but the situation does not need to control your behavior. And you start making bad decisions. And you say, Pastor, I, I kind of feel like I might have, I'm living in fear in this thing. Let's turn it around to faith. Let's start, let's start reflecting on what God's word says and what he's done before in the past. Let's look how he's bailed you out even when you made the bad decisions. And he still blessed you and kept you. Let's, let's start hanging around people that are Jonathans that have gone through their own trouble, made their own bad decisions, and can tell you how you need to remember what God has for you. Let's start doing that. Instead of fabricating, let's quit believing the lie and then repeating the lie of Satan. I tell you what, why don't we start speaking life instead of saying we're one, we're one step away from death and let's stop fabricating because you might be living under grace right now with that lie, but I'm telling you, those lies will bring a consequence you do not want. And I tell you what we should do. Let's do like David, that even when our emotions got out of control and we said things we wish we wouldn't have said, what I love is God turns the chaos into confidence. You can walk out of here totally transformed by the Spirit of God and his word. Can somebody say amen to that? So David's acting like a madman. <laughs> I mean, he's acting like a complete weirdo. I mean, he's clawing the doors, saliva. Just, I just, I wish they had social media back then. I'd love to have that, just to see that, what he did. But in the daytime, he's acting like a madman. But in the evening time, he comes to his senses when he's alone. Because God has not left him even when he made foolish mistakes and even when others made mistakes for him and made decisions he couldn't control. I want to show you something what David wrote. He's reflecting on that very incident where he's freaking out. He's in fear, he's fabricating, and he's freaking out. And Psalm 54 is what he wrote. This is a song that he wrote reflecting that very time. So I know he knows he's making dumb decisions out here and he's made wrong turns and he's got it. But he always knew one thing. He was a man after God's own heart when he started and he was a man after God's own heart when he ended. And when he was going through those crazy times, he knew I have to center back into the presence of God. And in Psalm 54 verse 4, this is what he began to write, this psalm, this song. But God is my helper. He's talking about that very thing he's going through right then. This is what he's reflecting on Psalm 54. The Lord keeps me alive. He was saying I'm going to be dead, but wait a minute, wait a minute. The Lord keeps me alive. He knows everybody's making decisions and controlling his destiny that he didn't feel like he has any control, but look what he says. May the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you promised and put an end to them. Look at this. I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. Instead, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm scared. But in this evening time, I'm going to come and I'm going to begin to worship you, God, because you're my helper. I can't help myself. And you're the one that's kept me alive. And everybody's bad decisions, I don't care if it's a spouse. I don't care if it's an employer, a supervisor. I don't, I don't care if it's a financial planner. I'm going to tell you, Lord, turn their plans. Do as you promised. But for me, 
I'm gonna sacrifice a voluntary offer to you. I could sit there and whine and moan and say, but you anointed me. How come you didn't do what you said you was gonna do? I should be treated better than this. I paid my tithe. I showed up to church. I was a good person. He didn't do it. He says, I'm voluntarily gonna worship you in the middle of all. He's reflecting on the mess he's in and he starts worshiping God. He says, for it's good because somehow, some way in all this bad, you are doing something good in my life. I can't figure it out. I don't understand it, but something good is happening in the middle of this. He says, for you have rescued me from my troubles and helped me to triumph over my enemies. Friends, can I tell you something? Hell is not in charge of your life. It is not. Those steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, even when the bottom falls out, when everything's going great. You know what you need to do when it does? He's my helper. I can't control other people, but he'll deal with their plans. But for me, I'm gonna worship you, God, because I know you're the one that's gonna rescue me and you're gonna work your purpose in my life. Have me say amen to that.